Hi there, folks, and welcome to the France 44 cast from France 44. I'm Marge Buckley. In 2019, Mexico produced 351 million liters of tequila, up from 249 million in 2009 and 104 million in 1995. And we've seen a boom in interest in tequila here in the store this season as well. Tequila, however, is just the tip of the agave iceberg. Our producer Emmett Cowler sat down with Tom Schneider, France 44's liquor buyer, in the France 44 classroom to chat about all things agave. What's up, Tom? Hello. Tom, I think just very briefly, I would be remiss not to also talk about how Tom is our local Rock Cup enthusiast. Yeah, I play a game called Rock Cup where we throw rocks at cups. It's my, it's my quarantine project. Project is maybe a little <laughs> un- understating it. It's really, it really seems to be your uh, stated purpose in life. That's a whole other podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> what do you like to drink when you play Rock Cup? Well, Rock Cup is actually sponsored by our Jelinek Fernet. Uh, it comes in 50 mLs from the Czech Republic, and we drink one before we play as an, as a, as an honor to our sponsor. We also drink pina coladas and Capaletti spritzes. All right. So none of those things are agave, but let's talk about agave real quick. Sounds good. What is an agave? Agave is a type of plant that looks a lot like a cactus. People just look at them and they think, no, that just must be a cactus. But what it really is, is a large succulent uh, that's actually in the asparagus family. It's quite an interesting plant that comes in a ton of different varieties uh, around Mexico and Texas. I think one thing you appreciate is like, they look at it and see a cactus, but also like, how big is an agave? Uh, They range in size uh, vastly. I mean, anywhere from a meter in diameter to... I mean, upwards of six meters in diameter, depending on the type of agave. Uh, Those large ones are going to be wild and very hard to farm. So the smaller ones are what's used for things like tequila because they're a little bit more manageable. They only take, let's say, six to eight years to grow instead of 15 to 25. So when we're talking about tequila, uh, I mean, most people have like an idea of, you know, like a a Jose Cuevo or a Casamigos are sort of like the things that we see in the store that people come into contact most with. Sure. Um, but I also never really understood like the how and why of what tequila is mm-hmm. until very recently. So talk to me about like what is, ba- what's like the basic rundown of how tequila is made. You take an agave plant and you really, what you really want is the pino, which is the heart of the plant. Agave spirits are kind of seen as the spirits of spirits because you have to actually literally take the heart of it And that's what you ferment and cook and distill. So what you do is you cut off all of the gigantic succulent leaves, pretty much. And you take those piñas and you cook them, uh, whether you're you're in a pressure cooker, steaming it, or in a big fire pit. And you cook it because, let's be honest, it's a starch, right? So what you have to do is you need to cook it to get it to be sweet so you can then ferment it and then distill it. What does the distillation look like then? Most agave spirits are usually distilled twice, um, anywhere from real industrial stills to, I mean, in Oaxaca, they still use clay pots sometimes. They can use uh, uh, tree trunks and things like that. I mean, these things have been made for hundreds of years. They didn't always have, you know, copper pot stills or anything like that. I mean, tree trunks and clay pots are fairly prevalent still. I mean, we're not going to see much of that in America. That's going to be like a couple hundred bottles worth, that kind of thing. They're going to use like a pressure cooker, a steam, a steam pressure cooker, 
and that's not going to impart too much flavor onto the agave. So you're going to get real fresh agave out of it. You're not going to get uh, a lot of the earth tones and things like that. You're going to get a lot of stone fruit, citrus, especially like lime rind. You're going to get some of that agave sweetness without a lot of like external effects from the cooking of it. Uh, it's a lot cleaner of a spirit. And when people, you know, there's all these misconceptions about tequila. It gives you a headache. It, you know, it gets you drunker, that kind of thing. A lot of what that is, is you're drinking bad tequila called a mixto. Mixto means it's mixed. So it's 51% uh, agave spirit and 49% neutral grain spirit. And that's what gives you a blinding headache. It's not the tequila. Why is lime and salt with tequila a thing? Well, I think it's American... Uh, origin is most likely that people are like, oh, I got to choke this down. So like I need like salt and then lime afterwards and that kind of thing just to mask the flavor. But really salt and lime are flavors that you can find in good tequila. I mean, these things match. I was once in a bar in Chicago and it was our honeymoon and they brought us out a tray of, it was literally a mezcal charcuterie board covered in different salts, different citruses, different mezcals, different peppers. And we could just like pick and choose and, you know, you could, you could really pull those flavors out. That sounds great. Yeah, it was awesome. When you'd say like you're trying to like, you're tasting a tequila and you're trying to determine whether or not it's a good tequila, like what are you hoping to experience? What are you looking to taste? Well, it depends. I'm looking for citrus. I'm looking for agave sweetness. Um, I'm not necessarily looking for vanillins. I'm not looking for vanilla. If I want vanilla, I'm going to go to bourbon. Um, but I mean, our top selling tequila right now is Casamigos and that's very vanilla heavy. Um, so it depends on what, what am I looking for? Am I looking for me or am I looking for my consumer? Blancos, silvers, platas, it's all the same thing. Uh, that's just under 60 days in oak or stainless steel or something like that. I'm definitely looking for that freshness. Uh, once you get to Reposados, you're looking at two to 12 months in oak. Uh, think Reposado, think rested. Um, I'm starting to look for, I want the citrus to still be there, but I'm also looking for like this like dulce de leche, melting caramel. Uh, that's when I'm going to start looking for vanillas, but I still want it to be fairly bright so I can mix with it and sip it. And then once you get to Añejos, I mean, you're looking a year to two years. Uh, those are going to be where you really, really get the oak. And you're not going to see much Añejo drank in Mexico. I mean, a lot of what is drank in Mexico is going to be Blanco uh, because agave spirit fresh off the still tastes good. You don't need to put it in oak. And the other thing is, I mean, we're only talking a couple years here, right? It's hot down there. It's not Kentucky where the weather fluctuates hot to cold. It gets hot to hotter. So when you're talking about you know, a few months or a year or three years, like that's a long time because of the evaporation rate. Those barrels are going to start losing spirit immediately. So that's tequila and it's familiar and it tastes good and like margaritas and whatever, but there's also a fair amount of interest in uh, something called mezcal, which maybe not everyone has heard of or totally knows what it is. So can you talk to me a little bit about uh, what mezcal is, what distinguishes it from tequila, and why it's having uh, a bit of a vogue moment right now. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot more people standing in front of my mezcal section. Some look a little daunted by it. A lot of people are excited by it. When it comes to mezcal, the main difference is mezcal is kind of like the overarching, like everything's mezcal because you can make it out of any plant. It doesn't ha like you can make it from the blue Weber agave. It doesn't matter. 
when people talk about mezcal, they, they, the first thing out of their mouth is smoke. It's smoky because the difference is instead of using a, like a pressure cooker, it's made in an old ancient method where you use a fire pit to really roast the pinas. Uh, that is where you get a lot of smoke. So when I was talking about tequila using that pressure cooker, I mean, you're really not getting a lot of flavor out of the cooking process. It's a lot fresher because there's, there's really no outside intervention. When it comes to something like uh, mezcal, you're going to get a lot of different flavors uh, just from the actual roasting of it, depending on the type of wood they use. Are you using mesquite? Are you using black oak? Depends. It just all depends. Um, 95% of mezcal is made from espadine, uh, just because it's the easiest to grow. It takes six to eight years and only grows to be about a meter, whereas something like quiche, mataquiche, tepestate, these things are going to take 15 to upwards of 25 years to grow to maturity. And that's just not sustainable. Um, that's why you're going to see $100 bottles because you're, they're only making a couple hundred, maybe 1,200 bottles. I mean, it's about it. Those plants are enormous and they only flower once. And it's really hard to farm them. So if you're going to rip these things out of the ground and you're a decent human being, you are going to have a nursery of different wild agaves that you are planning to replant in the same spot where you pull it. Can you talk more, maybe a little bit about like what the differences are or like what you can expect from like a wild agave spirit? It's really hard to know what you're getting into with an agave spirit that's wild. I mean, I've had some that taste like blue cheese. I've had some that taste like salt. I've had some that are like straight up pineapples, things like that. It's very interesting, the flavors you can get out of wild agaves. And the thing is, you know, that plant took so long to grow, it's hard to know what you're going to end up with. I mean, I'm looking at one right now from Dorumbus uh, that's made from Fukiana, Univitata, and Americana. Those are all smashed together. There's only 650 bottles in this batch, and I have it on my shelf for like 75 bucks. It's delicious. I get a whole ton of fruit out of it. I get a little bit of like sweet anise from the, from the agave sweetness. That's called an ensemble when you throw a bunch together. Uh, it's really interesting because like, this is probably the only time this is going to happen, and then we're going to switch to something else. On top of that, one of my favorite things is uh, pachuga. So pachuga is a method that farmers use to make celebratory mezcal, where they add, you know, it's usually things that mean something to them, whether it's uh, certain spices or local herbs or fruits that grow around their estates. And they throw that in the second distillation with uh, usually a whole raw chicken or at least a chicken breast. They don't always use chicken. I've had some that have uh, turkey in them and they're super gamey and kind of salty. I'm looking at one right now with mole spices in it and it tastes like blackened chicken. Uh, and I've had some with a barico ham in it and it was li- literally tasted like a barico. I mean, it costs $200, it's probably Word. worth it, but it's cool. Is that like uh, the Arrested Development hot ham water? Yeah, it's a lot like that. Right. Yeah, it's a lot like <laughs> ham water. So now we're starting to sort of get into like the funkier, wilder territory of agave, which is sort of like where really interesting things happen. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the next step up from here is something called ricea. Why don't you tell me about ricea? It's Mexican moonshine. I mean, it's made in Jalisco, and it's, it's kind of the bad boy of agave spirits because... Uh, they're breaking all of the rules. There's a there's a ricea board, but there's not any ricea rules, really. You can make it out of any agave spirit. Uh, it's been made for hundreds of years. Just, you know, it's it started off as, well, we're not going to use blue Weber agave. 
Uh, there's a guy named Eric Torin who uh, brought Ricea to the States in 2014. And honestly, it wasn't even commercially bottled in Mexico until 2008. So Until 2008? Yep. It was made what? for centuries, and it was not commercially bottled. It was just for the people who distilled it and the people they knew, which is crazy to think about. Two things that I've also noticed that I know nothing about are Bacanora and Sotol. Uh, can you tell me about those things? Yeah, so let's start with Bacanora because it's still in the technical family. Um, Bacanora was made in, is made in Sonora, which is right next to Baja, California. It's a fairly large territory, and it actually rivaled tequila up until 1915 when they got a extremely religious mayor who banned it prohibition style. So, I mean, it was gone from 1915 to the early 90s until it was uh, made legal again. People still made it for years illegally, um, but it was never commercially produced or even bottled in Mexico for consumer consumption. Now Bacanora is making somewhat of a comeback. I think, I think we're still a few years out before the Bacanora train really starts moving. It's got a salinate quality to it that I really enjoy in a spirit. Um, I also get a lot of sweetness and fruit out of it. It's not a citrusy fruit, though. It's more of a tropical fruit. Uh, it's super interesting. We only have one on the shelf. I'm hoping to get more, but getting some that are you know, well-priced is, is tough right now. There's like three available to me in the state. And is that mostly just because of like distributors aren't pulling it in yet or? Yeah. And I mean, there's not a, there's not a call for it yet. Okay. There's not a consumer saying like, hey, where's your Bacanora at? And then there's also Sotol, which sounds like it's maybe a little bit more uh, removed or like even. Sotol looks like, it looks like an agave plant. It looks like an explosion of, of spikes. It looks like it, it looks dangerous to be perfectly honest. It's usually like a perfect circle of spikes with the pina uh, kind of above ground a little bit, but not too much. And people really thought that they were distilling, you know, an agave spirit, a ricea, a mezcal, what have you. Um, but it's literally asparagus. It's closer to asparagus than it is to agave. The interesting thing about this plant, it takes 15 years to grow. You don't take the whole plant out of the ground, you only take three quarters of the plant out of the ground because it grows back, just like asparagus or rhubarb. So you take out three quarters of it, you distill it, and you wait another 15 years to get it back. It has a vegetal quality to it. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it as a spirit. Um, it, is, it is a little bit goofy, but it's delicious, and it's, you know, it should be embraced just like everything else. Are there any agave spirits or like agave adjacent spirits or drinks that you are hoping that will get on our shelf one day or that are a little hard to find right now or that you're interested in trying? Like what are you, what's a mystery to you right now? Personally, I'm still trying to figure out wild agaves and riceas. Like the flavor profiles are so vast. It's not as much about different spirits because all of these, like all mezcals that are made from these wild agaves are different spirits. Like they don't fit into a box together. So one of my quarantine projects has been trying different agave spirits, trying different uh, flavors, like once again, Salamania tasting like bell peppers. I've had two during quarantine and they both have bell pepper qualities. Um, one thing I'd love to try is pulque, which is basically fermented agave beer, but it's not pasteurized, so it's not, it doesn't get this far north. There's no real feasible way for it to in its original state. I mean, I want people to get out of the bubble of, 
oh, all tequila, all mezcal, you know, and getting out of that bubble is important for people. And I think hopefully in the 2020s, people will, you know, experiment a little bit more. I want people to get out there and explore different agave spirits. It's a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure to have you, Tom. Thanks so much for dropping by and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you very much. Don't buy pre-made margaritas. We like to end every episode of the show with, uh, by asking, what's the last great drink that you had? Well, I've been making a lot of pina coladas because of the Giffard uh, coconut syrup we brought in. I think it's just phenomenal, um, especially mixing different rums in. But the other thing that I've been doing, and I did yesterday while I, while I played my Rock Cup game, had gin and tonics splashed in with Cap Course Kinkina, which is a, a fortified aromatic wine with a bunch of quinine in it. Um, and I feel like that's definitely keeping the coronavirus away from me. So it's refreshing. It's bitter. It's sweet. Love it. The France 44 cast is a production of France 44 Wine and Spirits in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The show is produced and mixed by Emmett Cowler. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about the show, we would love to hear them. Send us an email at podcast at france44.com. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, drink well. Drink well.